Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Welcome to the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this edition of the Whiskey Bikini Podcast, otherwise known as the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're a regular podcast covering horror films, cult films and, and everything else in between. And we, we also have our regular um, radio play, an old 1930s style serial currently called uh, Mojo in the Corridors of Blood. So yeah, please check out all our other episodes. Um, yeah, we're on all the major podcast platforms and apps. So, so subscribe and follow us. And yeah, check us out on social media. And please, yeah, tell all your friends because you know your um, your lives may depend upon it. <laughs> so for this episode, uh, it's going to be the first part uh, chatting about something which is really, really close to the the beating heart of whiskey bikini. Namely, uh, Hong Kong Category 3 cinema. Um, that's something both which, which, which me and Cub are uh, particularly interested in and enjoy, and which, you know, Cub, as a, as a film director, uh, has been involved in quite a lot of stuff as well. So, so for this part, I'm going to talk just myself. You've just got me for now. Um, I'm going to talk through, you know, the basics of Category 3, the history, key films, where it comes from, everything. Then later, uh, separately, we'll be having a chat with Cub about his experiences and about the perspective of Category 3 you know, from a Hong Konger and from somebody who's in the industry. Um, you know, probably about a lot of the stuff which I've never, I've never managed to see myself. And then in another part, uh, I'll be talking to Andrew Heskins, uh, my old friend and the, the runner of uh, EasternKicks.com, uh, which is the UK's biggest and I, I dare say most popular Asian cinema website, which... Uh, as a very nice uh, extremes weekly uh, weekly review section, which I do myself, a lot of which is actually on Category Three Cinema. So, so yeah, check out those other uh, episodes on Category Three as well. And yeah, in future we'll be we'll be doing a lot of reviews of Category Three films, and you know, coming back to the topic in different ways. So for now, though, just um, yeah, pour yourself a drink, uh, probably a big drink, and uh, yeah, ho- hope you enjoy this. So I guess, you know, starting off uh, to say that Hong Kong cinema now is, you know, it's kind of fair to say is in the doldrums. It's in, it's in a decline, uh, hopefully not an irreversible decline, but, but quite possibly. But back in the, back in the early days, uh, or certainly say in the 80s and 90s, for, for a lot of people, that this is when Hong Kong was like the key Asian cinema. Uh, and it was the cinema which was spreading Asian film and even maybe even foreign language cinema to the West. Uh, you had you know fantasy films, horror films, and and primarily action films, contemporary action from directors like John Woo, uh, Choi Hark, Ringo Lam, and others. And this really spearheaded a wave of stuff. And um, this was such a, a golden era, certainly before the you know the influence of the shall we say the mainland market be, became increasingly apparent, and obviously the mainland censors and. 
this this was a kind of like post Hong Kong New Wave era as well, and and it raised the profile not only of Hong Kong cinema but I think Asian cinema in general, and it was certainly showing that uh, Asian cinema in Hong Kong weren't just making martial arts films and kung fu films, you know, films which were becoming really popular even then, like uh, you know The Killer, uh, Hard Boiled, Chinese Ghost Story, and and you know most of these are still held up as classics today and them and other films like them are it's quite often these which um you know film fans or aficionados or, or critics kind of refer to uh when they speak of this uh hyper creative like super creative area uh era and heyday of uh hong kong film industry But I'd say that, you know, while these films, which are masterpieces, uh, were, they were finding audiences around the world and, you know, introducing Asian cinema to the West. At the same time, back in Hong Kong, there was another um, considerably less respectable cinematic form, uh, which was really making its presence felt, which was namely, you know, Category 3 films with the, uh, with this rating, which I'm going to talk about, and uh, they're basically exploitation cinema. So although, you know, Category 3 isn't a genre as such, uh, so many of the Category 3 films shared just this one goal, which was, you know, it's like to shock people, you know, to thrill and to, to titillate through extreme sleaze, uh, sex and violence, um, good taste and cinematic morality, you know, they're left at the door, and usually common sense as well, to be honest. And the content then, it went so much further than what was acceptable or you know, pretty much is still acceptable in the West for a lot of films. And, you know, a lot of them got into like rape, cannibalism, torture, sexual violence and, you know, lots and lots and lots of different kinds of perversion. You know, obviously these films didn't get many global releases. And as such, you know, they, they've remained probably ignored by a lot of uh, Asian, mainstream Asian cinema commentators. And they've kind of slipped under the radar of genre fans uh, outside Hong Kong. And, you know, these are not the films which ever get optioned for remakes. And these are the ones quite often only being spoken of when they're being condemned or just, you know, dismissed. But, you know, Category 3 films, and they had, this, they had a real boom kind of in the late 80s and the early 90s and to a lesser degree than through the 90s. And I think it's an integral part of modern Hong Kong cinema. And, you know at least some of them are really worthy of rediscovery, um, you know, at least for those with strong, <laughs> strong stomachs. So Hong Kong had been making what you'd call Category 3 films, or films which would have been the equivalent, uh, would have earned that rating. Uh, it'd been made for many years, so... We saw a lot about that in the Shaw Brothers productions, like uh, Meng Hua's uh, Black Magic in 1975, or Tran Yang's 1983 infamous uh, Seeding of a Ghost, uh, uh, other films like Corpse Mania, for example. And that's somewhere we're going to talk about separately, this Shaw Brothers kind of sleazy black magic uh, and extreme cinema. But I think like the Category 3 the Category three form properly kind of came to the attention of Western exploitation fans, uh, at least. And... Um, uh, say back around 1988 with uh, Men Behind the Sun, which also went by uh, Camp 731. And it was a film which really became the sort of legendary for its kind of gruesomeness, 
kind of at the same time maybe as the the Japanese guinea pig series uh, was uh, starting to get whispered about by extreme horror fans. But Men Behind the Sun was directed by Tun Fei Mo, who he'd also helmed some other shockers, including one of the Shaw's ones, uh, Lost Souls, back in 1980, which was pretty grim as well. Uh, a lot more nihilistic, but, but Men Behind the Sun w- was so famous because it's very, very graphic um, detailing like the torture and surgical experiments which were which were inflicted on Chinese prisoners by the Japanese uh, during the Second World War and the notorious Squadron 731 in Manchuria. And honestly, I mean, even like back then, it was rare to have seen such a sort of barrage of honestly like sickening sadism and barbarity, uh, kind of you know equaling even anything like a cannibal holocaust. I think, and it, it quickly kind of got a cult status, uh, mainly then being passed around in sort of bootleg form of video. But you know, back in back in Hong Kong, then uh, after this, uh, no, you're not so much because of its Western success, but. Hong Kong filmmakers were coming to sort of realize that there was this great demand for uh, extreme lurid content, and and um, Men Behind the Sun was very quickly followed by like this growing parade of you know equally sometimes even more monstrous monstrous fare. But as to what Category Three actually means or refers to, just just to say a very quick bit about the Hong Kong rating system, or certainly at, at the time of at the time of recording, anyway. I mean, it's basically. Uh, it's different. It's a bit different to what we have certainly in the UK with you know PG twelve, twelve, eight, fifteen, eighteen, and stuff. But you have category one, which is suitable for all ages. Uh, category two A, not suitable for children. Category two B, not suitable for young persons, which kind of gets to like the fifteen certificate or sometimes eighteen certificate, say in the UK. Then you have category three, which is not approved for exhibition to anyone under the age of eighteen. But I think you can note there though the uh, categories. Uh, 1, 2A and 2B, they were pretty much advisory only. Uh, and so it wasn't actually illegal for a child to watch these things in the cinema. Though the Category 3 rating was legally binding with, uh, you know, you're liable to get fined if you, if you let kids in to watch them and everything. Though I, from what I, I've read, it was actually the, the cinema goer who'd be fined rather than actually the cinema. So you had kind of this, um, a bit of self-censorship there as well. And you, maybe that was kind of a, a way to, you could allow this distribution of like really dubious entertainment by making it up to the viewer to to make your own decision regarding access to how you watched it and who watched it and it also means that a lot of the category three film did then rely on the the dvd and uh back then the old school uh, vcd mediums yeah bit of laser disc as well obviously and and then some maybe later ones would eventually end up online but it was it was often down to that say more than you know what we traditionally see in a cinema but, you know, in terms of rough comparison, uh, the Category 3 rating, though, it does most of the time go way beyond the, the UK 18 certificate. Um, well, that's, that's something I'm going to get into because there are a few interesting examples uh, of ones which have ended up with 15 ratings in the UK. And I'd say the Category 3 is closer to the old, uh, older like US NC-17 rating. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's for adults only. They'll kind of stop short of being hardcore pornography or, or anything, uh, anything illegal. Though in the US, with the NC-17 certificate, I mean, it's kind of a commercial kiss of death. You're not likely to get properly released. Uh, in Hong Kong, you would still you still would have had, like, Category 3 films, sometimes in major cinemas, uh, screening alongside much more family-friendly or, you know, popcorn productions. So Category 3 films, you know, there, there was a, obviously still was some censorship for them. Um, 
a lot of them, you know, for the most part, they, they were reasonably free of it. Though some of the the bigger examples, uh, like stuff like Doctor Lamb, uh, which I'm going to mention, which was directed by a uh, bloody Billy Tang, who who sadly passed away last year, and Danny Lee. That Doctor Lamb was a a sort of true story necrophiliac serial killer film, um, and also Herman Yao's uh, Untold Story and Ebola Syndrome were all kind of cut a bit, and they. You know, interestingly, later then you would see some of these getting uncut releases uh, on DVD in the West, in particular in the US. Not These films are not really getting released in the UK. But we also saw a couple more recent examples, um, like in Pang Ho Chung's Dream Home and uh, uh, Wong Ching Po and uh, Juno Max, a Revenge, a love story, which you know also had the Japanese AV star as Solo Aoi. They were cut in Hong Kong, uh, despite receiving Category 3 ratings, but... They were actually released in the UK uncensored and in 18 rated as well. Um, and you also got some uh, foreign films being released in Hong Kong with the Category 3 rating, which were cut, like, uh, you know, Mike's uh, superhero, <laughs> superhero opus, Each of the Killer, which had a Category 3 rating, but that was actually trimmed as well. And you get a few, you do get a few interesting cases of censorship of Category 3 films, which are not necessarily for the traditional reasons. Um, like a, a Young Chigun's um, cannibal true crime thriller. Uh, it's not really much of a thriller, to be honest, but There is a Secret in My Soup, uh, which is not a great film. It's another one of these ones kind of post the untold story uh, about cannibalism and murder. Uh, but you have like a Hello Kitty doll in the background, which is covered in optical mosaicing, which uh, is quite funny because there's all this like graphic carnage going around. And then Hello, Hello Kitty is kind of like covered up as well. So it's a... Uh, clearly wasn't out of concern for decency. But there are different types of films, though, which historically have received a category 3 rating. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not really going to talk about foreign imports. I'm, I'm kind of just chatting about Hong Kong films themselves now. But Category 3 films, I guess, and you can say two ca two categories within this. Um, one whose you know content has been deliberately designed uh, to get the Category 3 rating. So that's kind of its uh, you know, reason for being. You know, packing as much sex and violence as possible. Then you have another category, which is those end up being rated Category 3 for a you know, variety of other reasons out with the control or... Or probably the intentions of the filmmakers, and and the basic reason stated by by the you know licensing board then would be, a whether the film portrays, depicts, or treats cruelty, torture, violence, crime, horror, disability, sexuality, or indecent um, or offensive language or behavior, or uh, b whether the film denigrates or insults any particular class of public by reference to the color, race, religious belief or ethnic or national origins, or the sex of that member of that class. This is obviously not particularly clear-cut, especially the second point, um, which I, I find quite strange, because, let's be honest, like a lot of the, the Hong Kong comedies were not exactly um, PC, and, you know, let's be honest, they were fairly offensive. Some of them had quite a lot of racist humour, or uh, mocking disabilities, everything like that, especially I mean, Wong Jing's films. Jesus, he pretty much made a career out of that. But these, you know, large number of these were not rated Category 3. So there's obviously like a lot of other factors involved in this. And 
you know, you, you can have some other films like, uh, you know, Fruit Chance, uh, you know, Dumplings and, uh, you know, the Mickey uh, Fruit Chan, Park Chan Wook and Takashi Mike, you know, the, the anthology Three Extremes, you know, they, they were Category 3 rated, which kind of comes down to mainly it's the fact that it's dealing with Dumplings, you know, Fruit Chan section. Uh, dumplings deals with the, you know, use of illegal abortions and then you know, consuming the fetus and scenes involving Siamese twins. But it's not actually a very, it's not actually a really gory film or, or anything, but um, you have, it's dealing with this kind of taboo subject or, you know, you have stuff like, you know, Wonka Wise, Happy Together, um, you're dealing with um, homosexual content. Although again, you know, so many films before then and probably even around then and since then in Hong Kong had quite a sort of homophobic, uh, homophobic line in, in humour. Um, another another one which had similarly was a uh, Otto Chan's uh, Pink Lady, uh, you know, which as you can probably guess from the title, tried to have a, a sort of lesbian story, but ended up being category three rated. Um, or, or even something like Pang Ho Chung's Vulgaria, which I think is one of the very few to get a category three rating just on the basis of its, uh, its use of offensive language. Um, I mean, that's an interesting one then because that got a 15 certificate on release in the UK. Uh, although this is quite possibly down to the fact that it's quite hard to to translate and subtitle some of the super creative uh, Cantonese swearing and cursing. Although these definitions are broad uh, and pretty ambiguous, it is usually sexual violence, uh, which is the major factor. And, uh, and also whether or not this uh, you know, rape or sexual assault is played for titillation, um, especially when it comes hand in hand with torture, as it quite often does in these films. But as a result, you know, much like in the U, the U.S., I think you can say there, there you can get this odd imbalance sometimes in the, the category, in the the Hong Kong category three classification system. So, you can get some films which are are still incredibly violent, but they they can pass with like a lower two B rating if they don't have any sexual content in it as well. Um, so what springs to mind would be like Patrick Yao's. Um, Johnny Toe produced uh, the film The Longest Night in 1988, which is still one of my favorite Hong Kong thrillers, actually. Uh, it's one of the best examples, certainly the 90s, but it's it's extremely violent. Uh, it's really, really nihilistic, but it, it was rated to be probably just because it doesn't have that kind of uh, distasteful sexual edge, which, which pushes it into Category 3 territory. But yeah, Category 3 films are basically exploitation cinema at its purest. Uh, the chief reason for being is to serve up graphic sex and violence and anything else. The narrative, the characters is secondary at best. You know, you can also usually spot a Category 3 film, not just from its uh, the current iconic rating, you know, the little triangle, red triangle with the, the three. But you can usually get it from the posters or DVD covers. Um, not just, again, because the, the rating will be displayed front and centre, but they tend to be incredibly lurid and suggestive. And there's certainly the English titles for them, the translations, you know, you'll quite often get words beast, sex, naked, rape, evil, or, you know, just some combination of them. Um, again, often with grammar thrown to the, <laughs> with grammar being thrown to the wind. So I think one type to talk about first a bit is uh, the sort of sex, the sex films in the category three. And, you, you know, 
this is I think this is probably one of the most popular kinds, but also one of the kinds which maybe less fans see because you know just the same any kind of soft porn is not going to be as popular or openly popular as say like horror or, or violent films everything so so uh, a category three sex film would still be sub pornographic though probably go beyond uh, a uk 18 rating um and there as you'd expect these are the kind of films which are mainly just very very long scenes of sexual content i'd say probably more than half the running time being taken up with uh you know scenes of copulation of one kind or another but but what distinguishes this kind of like uh, sex film from other category three films which contain a lot of sex still is the fact that this kind of one while still you know exploitative and sexist and generally pandering to male fantasies um you know this kind of category three film it kind of lacks the sadism and sexual violence uh, and the kind of you know some misogyny in there maybe takes a bit more of a back seat and and quite what I think sometimes is strange for Western viewers when you see these is how a lot of the sex in these films can be treat their uh, sexual content and nudity as really frivolous or, or even comedy or something. And, you know, shockingly, they might even, you know, feature a narrative or plot, of course. And, you know, and there are some seri more serious ones uh, on this kind of like sexual side of them, um, though these tend to be the ones which sort of get the get the rating more accidentally. So these ones can be, you know, relatively harmless sometimes and body kind of films. And the director's adding to the, the amusement factor with some, <laughs> some imaginative money shots, shall we say, uh, or, or some, you know, wacky music, speeded up film, bit of Benny Hill type humor, everything was quite popular. Historical settings are, are, are pretty common for this kind of films as well. Uh, quite there, there was a whole period of doing like a, you know remakes of like erotic chinese literature uh like especially the the notorious ming dynasty text uh, jingping mei which uh is be, you might have heard it referred to in english as the plum in the golden vase or uh the golden lotus or sometimes just taking famous you know famous literature and just inserting random sex scenes and and this kind of period sex film has it's it's enduringly popular to this day and it's given category three cinema some of its its biggest hits um like uh, Erotic Ghost Story from uh, Lamin Kai, which is in 1987, or probably the most famous one for, for the West would be uh, Michael Mack's uh, Sex and Zen, and you know, both of which actually had uh, Amy Yip in them. And, you know, even relatively recently, th this kind of historical sex film uh, has come back to a small degree uh, with stuff like uh, Sex and Chopsticks and 3D Sex and Zen, for example. So as well as the this kind of like a sex category of films, I would say the other main category is uh, sadism, uh, which is you know, obviously more like violence, torture, and quite often combines sex with violence. Uh, more more often than not, with sort of pretty extreme miso misogyny and degeneracy, and it's these are the reasons why these kind of films are probably the more famous ones from the category three and, and certainly the most notorious. And these films, that you, they kind of revolve around a handful of different themes. And I think that probably the most common is you know, one way or another, uh, a maniac 
of some description, like stalking, torturing, and mutilating his victims. And you know, when female is, you know, they usually are, they're usually subjected to some kind of rape or sexual abuse. And whilst on a basic level, this might sound not too different from like a slasher and, you know, uh, post-hostile torture porn films in the West, the Category 3 films from Hong Kong during the, the glory days of the forum took things you know, several steps further. And sometimes they got to, you know, really jaw-dropping levels of offensiveness, perversion, and depravity. And in this way, you know, this kind of film is what a lot of people think of when they think of Category 3. It kind of distills the forum to its most basic and, uh, and its most base level. And a lot of them, you know, kind of hard to justify as actual entertainment Certainly, when you read about them on paper, and some, you know, and some really are just like a thinly veiled series of like a leering murder and uh, you know sexual sadism sequences. At the same time, though, um, they 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 can be incredibly cartoonish in how over the top they are. With the villains, be just uh, proper maniacs who are just gleeful and do everything with great relish, like taking their time to usually incompetently torture the victims and. And everything about their behavior you know there's no there's no realism here you know this is like proper like pantomime cackling cackling but very sadistic villains and but also you know where they do become very distasteful in these films uh is in the way that the the rape scenes and the the scenes of like sexual sadism can be shot pretty much in the same way their sex scenes are as well um leaving it pretty obvious that you know titillation was the main aim it can be hard to see such films and not come away with an impression of just, you know, this not if not hatred of the female characters and just kind of this complete uh, dismissal of them, you know, an absolute extreme, extreme objectification. And uh, one example, I guess, of this to throw in quickly would be like the Peeping Tom, um, which was directed in 1997 by Ivan Lai, who was a real category three specialist. Uh, did stuff like Chinese ancient Chinese whorehouse, the imp, and and other nasties and. It just basically follows a complete pantomime, psychopathic rapist who's completely unbelievable. And he has a nasty habit of chopping off the legs of his victims and, and keeping them as trophies. And, you know, that gives you a pretty good idea of what this kind of film is like. At the same time, I mean, there have been at least um, at least some of these films, which, although basically with this same plot, have gone down a more serious and substantial route, kind of combining the sleaze and brutality with. Um, with an attempt to explore the mind of the maniacs or to play things for a bit of satire or uh, even to work in some humour in some cases. Um, and I'll mention like Dr. Lamb again, which you know, for all the sort of grand green old gore, necrophilia and everything, Simon Yam's performance uh, is fantastic in the film. Uh, it really notches things up in quality and it makes it a lot more disturbing. But there is a genuine kind of attempt to both to get into the mind of the, the murderer and also to treat it as like a proper true crime story as well. But we're going to talk about a bit more true crime stuff later. Um, you also, another one, uh, a, a quite a good one I, I'd mention is the, the Anthony Wong starring uh, A Lamb in Despair from 1999, 
which you know again it's a rapey mass murderer but uh it's got a much more psychological spin and it's got a bit of a narrative and it actually has a few stabs at tension and suspense which uh, a lot of these films don't and some of these films do do take the the sort of rape angle even further and you get this other subgenre within the sadism one which is just pretty much all about sexual abuse uh, and that's where you get the um the rape by an angel series and things like that which uh, which managed five entries um between i think 1993 and 2000 then one of them the most ridiculous one being uh, wong jing of course doing rape by an angel for the rapers union in 1999 which is just crazy but we got there's a lot of other films in these ones and you'll get films with names like rape prop fatally rape extreme rape and it's just yeah i mean you know you're not really gonna approach these films unless you're expecting you know expecting a certain type of content and everything so so again most of these films have not really found their way out of hong kong although of course you, you know rape by an angel ties into naked killer which was category three rated, but you know category three rated in a way which was a lot more, you know, palatable to a lot of Western viewers. So, so Naked Killer did get a sort of certain cult status in there as well. And then you actually had Rape by an Angel kind of being called um, Naked Killer Two in sort of some, you know, <laughs> some sort of cheap manipulation release and everything like that. But you also get some ex really extreme examples like uh, Billy Tang's. Uh, Red to Kill, in which you know a madman stalks a home for the for the mentally challenged, um, raping any female residents who are actually wearing the color red. And although I mean this is an example of a film though which is incredibly offensive, but it's it's so crazy, it's so over the top, it's so stupid, it's so insane. It just doesn't it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You have this this guy who's a lawyer and and suddenly he he starts doing this. And is this because he's never seen the color red in his life? I don't know. It's so single-minded in its pursuit of offensive nastiness that it, it, it almost becomes something almost becomes something else. I mean, it's still not one I'm ever going to recommend people to actually to actually watch, but you know, when you if you actually if you do see the film, then it's kind of hard not to be impressed by just how like wow, how jaw-droppingly just crazy this film is. <laughs> And getting back to the, uh, the what I've said about Dr. Lam, you do have this other sort of strand of the, the extreme sex and violence films, uh, which is the sort of true story or true crime route, which is based on generally salacious stories ripped from the headlines. Uh, as well as Dr. Lam, you have classic example, probably uh, The Untold Story. But then, you know, the, you had others following it because it was so successful. And they were all based on this real uh, Eight Gods Restaurant murders, everything, which, you know, are cannibalism themed, basically. Um, so we had stuff like Bloody Buns, um, Human Pork Chop. Uh, I, I mentioned before, there was a secret in my soup. Yeah, guess what the secret is? Uh, which also tied into another unfortunate case, the which I mentioned, the Hello Kitty crime, where... Uh, a prostitute was tortured and killed and her head was was found stuffed into a doll and everything but but yeah category three 
had a lot of cannibalism in, in this true crime thing as well. But they they basically all follow the same pattern in these films as well. So you you you'll sort of follow the maniac towards the start where he's doing his his, his business, whether it's you know murder, or torture, or whatever. And they tend to get actually get um, captured by the police, and then the full story will actually kind of play out in flashback generally with the with the suspect being tortured by the police so you also get this you know a bit of a social criticism in there as well and that's certainly something you get to you get to see in the untold story but we also see this in stuff like um you know suburb murder which was based on the the hong kong uh braemar hill murders and daughter of darkness uh brother of darkness daughter of darkness 2 which were you know respectively um by ivan Lai and billy tang which is based on a true story in which uh, a young woman killed her her abusive family. So, and you know, for these films, you you, all, you have the really shocking content. You also have this, you know, there's something there's an extra edge to them because they're supposedly based in real life. I mean, how how you know much they stick to the stories is very very debatable, but they can be even more shocking for this. Unsurprisingly, you know, away from the, these ones we, we I've talked about here, like the, the sort of more straightforward sex ones, the, the sadism ones, the true crime ones within that, uh, the quest for, for new shocks and gimmicks towards uh, the end of the, the Category 3 boom, it took filmmakers to some pretty, pretty strange places with the sex and violence being pushed to extremes, not you know, even just so much in terms of graphicness, just in terms of weirdness or some films which are just bafflingly hard to pigeonhole, like... Uh, uh, 1994 uh, Chinese torture changer story, which kind of has um, yeah, it's a spoiler, but it's kind of a, a an extended masturbation scene, which is a, a nod to the to Hollywood supernatural romance film Ghost, complete with as usual, you know, kind of a bit of ripped off, ripped off soundtrack. Um, so Run and Kill, which is which is actually one of the best. It's another Billy Tang one in which you have the sort of well-loved Hong Kong character actor, uh, usually playing characters called Fatty, uh, Kent Chung, who he, he gets really drunk and he accidentally hires a hitman to kill his wife. And he, he ends up um, locked in with all these really, you know, crazy terrorists. Um, and some of the things that happen in that film have to be seen to believe. And one of my own favorites, uh, Chin Man Kei's uh, 1995, the, the Eternal Evil of Asia. Which you know kicks off with a, a scene warning viewers not to take young children to the toilets at cinemas, and then after that we get scenes of like flying black magic sex, lots of gore, and Elvis Tsui is a man whose head is turned into a giant penis, which um, which urinates when he gets nervous. Special mention for horrible high heels, which is it's an amazing, it's a roller coaster of completely incomprehensible plotting, random atrocities, and absolute gonzo insanity, and. So much so that it actually took three directors to bring it to the screen, and it's an, so it kind of rips off the untold story in a way, following a madman who, but this time rather than making buns from his victims, he he flays them and he makes shoes from their skins, which somehow he manages. But um, these you know shoes are of course praised by customers for their their comfort and stylishness. But you know it's a film; it never misses the single chance to to offend or surprise. And you got murder, torture, rape, and. Yeah, the sexual abuse of a most unfortunate goose, uh, which is all carried about this cackling villain, and he he prances around for most of the film with like a a bag on his head, where it actually looks like he can't actually see out of the bag, and he's wearing tiny, really tiny, uh, leopard skin underwear, and 
it suddenly then it lurches off drunkenly into like martial arts and triads for liturgy and you're just you're just like wow what is happening uh it's definitely worth checking out but you know you're you should not be expecting anything common sense <laughs> So although obviously like a lot of these films played to a much more select audience uh, or, or went straight to the home market, some of the category three films did, they did have genuine mainstream success like uh, Young Shikin's um, 1991 Pretty Woman, which is, you know, not to be, not to be confused with the Hollywood romantic comedy of the same name. Uh, and The Untold Story did very well, uh, Chinese erotic ghost story and even Chinese torturous chamber story all, all did very well at the box office despite you know, their uh, explicit content. Whether on the big screen or the small screen, you know, the popularity of the, the Category 3 form gave it a real importance to the Hong Kong film industry. And you just have to look at the sheer number of productions which came out during the 90s, which had the rating. And reportedly during some periods, apparently as many half of the films being released in Hong Kong were rated Category 3. And so the number made during this 90s boom is, is well into the hundreds. And while in the, like in the West, exploitation films, you know, to a large extent, it could be ignored by the mainstream press. You know, Category 3 films did, to, to some extent, you know, get more engaged with by the media and critics um, in Hong Kong. And whilst that's not to say that a lot of them, most of them were dismissed, not unfairly, as trash, uh, a few did win acclaim. Um, you know, and Anthony Wong's performance uh, in The Untold Story, which had the landmark uh, achievement of winning Best Actor at the 1994 Hong Kong Film Awards. And he is absolutely amazing in it uh, as well. I mean, it never legitimized the form and say in the same way that, um, you know, Anthony Hopkins uh, winning an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs did for the horror genre in the West. It was still a major step. And it is an amazing, incredibly intense performance as well. And kind of linked to this, another way you can see the importance of Category 3 films to the Hong Kong industry is you know you can see the number of like uh, actors and actresses who kind of uh, graduated uh, to mainstream and in some even like international roles and you know Anthony Wong again is a great example he went through as well as like Untold Story he was in stuff like Daughter of Darkness as Officer Lazy Boots and stuff he you know he was in a lot of Category Three films you know usually the high point of them uh, before going on to you know work on the Infernal Affairs trilogy and much higher profile films in Hong Kong and China, as well as, you know, Hollywood productions like uh, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and then, you know, working in TV in the UK as well. Uh, another one like Simon Yam, Dr. Lam himself, you know, he, he was in stuff like Tomb Raider over here. Um, and then someone like Xu Chi, who's, you know, she went through, you know, Sex and Zen 2 and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, now is a, not an art house darling quite so much, but, you know, she was in Western films like... Um, uh, transporter and stuff but then she worked with like a ho hao shan in films uh, several of his films so you know she's certainly long since left behind her category three past Thank <laughs> you. 
你有冇察覺黨外衰裏邊？好多都未破案，就 close 咗，因為兇手唔係人，或者根本冇兇手。At the end of the 90s, though, the, uh, the Category 3 boom had definitely run its course with, you know, filmmakers, had, they'd run out of exploitation subjects, um, run out of barrels to scrape the bottom off. And audiences kind of had, had their fill. And, you know, by the end of the 90s, uh, distribution models had changed and it was easier to get hold of, like, horror, sleaze, extreme content, pornography from Japan and other countries. And... To be honest as well, I guess the main thing there is the 1997 handover to China was just starting to see seismic shifts in the, you know, the Hong Kong film industry uh, and, you know, the ability or commercial viability of producing this kind of extreme fare. We have seen in the 2000s or, or you know, the noughties, as they're called, uh, some, some films coming back. Like, you know, I mentioned uh, uh, Sex and Chopsticks or, you know, Forbidden Legend, Sex and Chopsticks, uh, to give it its full name, which was in 2008, which was another um, Jinping Mei adaptation. And, you know, it was very much an old school throwback. Uh, a lot of sex and sleazy goings on, but, you know, quite a few odd, weird touches in there as well. And it was very popular. So we had a 2009 sequel. And following this, then we had a sort of mini, a mini resurgence in the kind of sex films uh, with stuff like uh, 33D Invader, uh, which is again from like Chin Man K. And then we had uh, Jew West, Our Sex Journey, and, and then, as I, I mentioned before, uh, 3D Sex and Zen, Extreme Ecstasy, which that was proper old school category three. I mean, absolutely crazy film and a lot of not just a lot of sex, but so much weirdness in there. So much weirdness in there as well. And, you know, the 3D gimmick obviously helped. And it did. It did get a release in quite a lot of territories around the world in cinemas, which was amazing. And I remember seeing that 3D Sex and Zen was actually playing one of the, the Odeon cinemas just off Leicester Square over here. And it was cut in some places, but uh, I've got a feeling that was just more for the fact that weirdly it was like two hours plus for a Category 3 film. So cutting that down uh, wasn't a terrible idea. Whilst most of this kind of minor recent 2000s wave of Category 3 has been based around you know, these kind of uh, more harmless sex films, relatively free of uh, this the misogyny I've talked about. We have had a handful of more violent productions. Um, I mean, Herman Yao of The Untold Story, he, he kind of got back to the form uh, in 2007 with the excellent uh, Gong Tao, or Gong Tao and Oriental Black Magic, or I believe it was released as Voodoo uh, in the US. And that's, that's a fantastic old school, gruesome black magic thriller with, with lots of nasty stuff in there as well. And, yeah, that, that, that did well, got an international release, did well at festivals. And then he did another couple of ones like uh, The Second Coming and The Sleep Curse, which, you know, also made it to some festivals and are, and are pretty good as well. You know, there was a few other ones um, like uh, Wong Pak Kei's uh, Guilty in 2015 was a serial killer film. Then uh, Soi Chang's uh, Dog Bite Dog, which, I mean, that's still that's still one of the most brutal and nihilistic Hong Kong films I've seen. Uh, and I mentioned before, Pang Hao Chung's Dream Home and um, uh, Juno Mac's uh, Revenge, a love story. And, but then again, these have still tended to be a lot more serious-minded affairs. Um, and they've got some extreme content, but they're, they're not really the same kind of thing as Dr. Lam or The Untold Story. We, we've not really seen filmmakers going back to that again.
So yeah, category three. Um, are we ever going to see the likes again? Uh, no. I Sadly, I, I'm going to guess not, to be honest. I'd say, you know, even until a few years ago, we, we might have still held out hope for, for the odd um, one of the, either a harmless sex one or maybe a particularly violent cop thriller. Um, I think the days of Hong Kong exploitation cinema are, are over and uh, the industry has changed irrevocably. And needless to say, extreme sex and violence are not going to go down well with the, the mainland censors. Uh, increasingly now, obviously, with this national security law being applied to Hong Kong cinema, it's just, you know, there's no way to even like raise the financing or get these films released commercially. And investors are not going to touch them. Stars and directors are probably not going to touch them. So, so yeah. So if we do see any Category 3 films, they're going to have to be on the sort of mad, super underground indie side of things. And, you know, it does, it, it does mean that the days of Category 3 as a genre or in the ways I've outlined it, I think, are over, unfortunately. And the best we can really hope for is that at least the... You know the better examples and the the less, you know the less troublesome and uh, really depraved examples aside, that some of these films actually get you know maybe preserved or, or bought up by companies and re-released properly on Blu-ray. So so at least that they don't get lost to the, the winds of time and stuff. Though, yeah, I think anyone who is willing to admit a taste for this kind of a, the dubious joys of Hong Kong trash and Category Three for the most part, they they're just going to have to stick to the. The glory days of you know what's now like three decades ago unfortunately so there we go yeah so hopefully that's that's given you a good kind of primer for, for category three I, you know i've dropped in quite a lot of uh key films in there as well which are some of which are worth checking out and this should give you a sort of basis for 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 knowing a bit more and understanding where we go with the, some of the later chats i'm going to have as i said me and cub are going to get into talking about it and have a chat with uh, Andy Haskins of EasternKicks.com. And then, you know, we're going to have more reviews of these films coming later and everything. So, so yeah, if there's any, if you've got any like questions about Category 3 or if you have any um, feedback on them or films you'd like us to cover, then, you know, please, by all means, like, drop us a line and we'll see what we can do. But for, for now, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. And, yeah, follow the Whiskey Bikini podcast, also known as the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. Whiskey bikini, whiskey bikini, whiskey bikini, whiskey bikini, whiskey bikini, whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini.